Welcome to Million Dollar Career. I've got with my guest host, Craig Picken, President and CEO of North Star Executive Search Group. Craig specializes in aerospace and aviation. He's one of the nation's top recruiters of all people, executive level and above. Welcome to the show again, Craig. How are Rob, you? happy Monday. What's happening? Yeah, man. How was your weekend? Good? It was good. Yeah, it was good. It was quiet. Good, just didn't, man. Yeah, good. it came out. Last week was so crazy. I just, I did nothing this weekend. Watched, yeah, watched basketball. I was on my computer. It's reading. Played with the dogs. It was great. Good, man. So, how about you? Hey, we were born to work. Same with me. I just work, man. It's all I do. I, I, I work Saturday, Sunday. I'm working so much now that when I wake up in the morning, my mind is already working. You know? It's insane. You know, you got to know when to turn it off, but I'm kind of the same. I'm kind of in the same yeah. genre. My, it's, you know, I think this is kind of when, you know, it's, it's hard to explain, but when you, when you have a small business, you know, you're thinking about things all the time. Yeah. All the time. And, and it's, and all it's, it's all the time. And, you know, like I got the three dogs and I love playing with them in the backyard and, you know, go t- took them for, you know, I take them for a couple walks each day and, you know, we just built a big fireplace out back and got a big heat lamp, you know, one of the big propane heat lamps and sat out onto that. But I was on my computer and I'm like, you know, it's chill. We can put the headphones in and I can listen to some music and I'm thinking about stuff. And there you go, man. I love that. I love that. Those kind of weekends. That's why you're the number one recruiter, man, nationwide in aerospace and engineering, billing over a million dollars a year, man. So, uh, hey, I was reading the Wall Street Journal on Sunday morning, which I always do. I, I, I get the print edition and I just spread it out over the kitchen table and over a cup of coffee mm-hmm. and some bacon and eggs. And uh, an article caught my eye. It was uh, how to reinvent yourself and your career. I saw that. It was a front page article and I read it and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then I started thinking to myself, wait a minute, this is fairly simple. You know, how to reinvent yes. yourself in your career. But the more important thing is how does a company reinvent itself? Yeah. I love that. I loved, I loved that article. Yeah, so it's kind of the same. It's kind of the flip side of, of, of you know of, of the same coin, so to speak. And it and I started thinking more and more about you know I, I've had like three or four clients of mine that have completely reinvented themselves over the past anywhere from three to ten years. Yep. I contacted them actually via email, but they said it was okay if you know if I talked about their journey. I'm not going to mention their names. But I want to talk about it, you know, two or three of these clients and how they reinvented themselves. And I'm, and I, I, I'm going to talk about three different ways. Number one, company number one, let's call them created an employee-centric culture to attract top talent. Another client oh, it actually changed their hiring practices completely so that they align them so that the personality, skills, and attributes of their new hires were in direct alignment with their corporate culture. And the requirements of the job and the managers. Mm-hmm. And the third one grew top line sales, insurance revenues, insurance commissions by by at least 20% yep. instead of flatlining over their previous two years. They actually called me into their office, actually. In all great uh humility, I sat down with their executives and we and we hammered out a plan, and I'll talk about that a little bit. But those are the three things, you know. One, creating an employee-centric Uh, culture to attract top talent, growing sales by more than 20%, and altering their hiring practices to incorporate personality profiling, personality assessments to make sure that the new hires were in direct alignment, those three things. So I'd be kind of curious, Craig, have you had any experience in in the last few years with 
maybe some of your clients or other companies that have just completely reinvented themselves. I'd be interested to hear about that. Well, I'll talk, I'm going to talk three things. I'm going to talk three things. One, I love that article. And the article, you know, the one thing about the article it said was it was not, there were no radical. Yes. Nobody just woke up on Tuesday and said, we're doing it differently. You're exactly it was right. a transition. And I think in my own career, you know, look, I went from a, you know, an okay job to a, to a commission sales job with a base salary to a commission sales job with no salary. And that was where the light bulb went on. That's yeah. where I learned how to become an entrepreneur. You know, so, you know, and it wasn't over, it wasn't immediately, it was over time. And now I, I don't feel, you know, I, to get a salary today, I would not, I wouldn't even want it Yeah. with salary comes, to, you know, comes ties and I don't want to, you know, it, it, that's it. So I love that article and it was talked about transition, but I love actually all three of these things that you mentioned. You know, you talk about, you know, creating an employee centric culture, you know, uh, aligning hiring practices, you know, and then you talk about doing the things you need to do to create a culture where you're going to grow top line sales. You know, companies can do all three. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I speak at, I was speaking at uh, this conference a couple months ago. Uh, it was uh, the National Air Transportation Association conference. And it was, I think the third time I'd spoken at it. And we talked about, you know, my, 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 you know, and they're all, all these CEOs or I had a, I had a canned speech I was going to do, but I was at the third day of this conference. I was one of the last speakers. And for three days, I'd listened to all these CEOs whine that they can't get the right people. Oh, hiring is so hard. Oh, it's just so it's crazy. You know, cry me a river. Yeah. Yeah. What's the answer? Become the employer of choice. Exactly. There you, you go. You know, you talk about creating an employer-centric or employee-centric company where people want to come work. Yeah. It requires thought and effort yes. to become the employer of choice where people are just banging your door down to get in. So the first client, okay. I know the president listens to this, so I hope I don't overstate or understate what happened, but probably about... 10 years ago, 10, 10 to 11 years ago, since 2012, he called me up. He had just taken over. The company was 13 people. And I checked him out, as I do all my new clients, and there was a lot of bad stuff on Glassdoor. Just a lot of, mostly whining, you know, tough place to work, disorganized, blah, blah, blah. He goes, Rob, he says, I want to make this, I want to grow this to 50 people from 13. I'm like, wow. I mean, most insurance agencies that are 13 people, 50 years later, there may be 14 or 15 people. You know, right. I mean, really, really difficult to scale up an insurance agency. So here's what this guy did. I made a list, actually. So he created a culture that everybody wanted to work there. And I used to call them, I still call them the Google of insurance. <laughs> there you go. The Google of insurance. It's, it, it's because... They are so cool now. They're so sophisticated. Mm -hmm. The average age of this agency is is less than, I think it's like 32 years old or something insane. Mm -hmm. Most insurance agencies are like, the average age is like 65 or something. You know, it's all, most insurance agencies are all white guys. Okay. So very diverse environment, international, mm -hmm. young. They they actually have an Academy Awards once a year at a at a really nice country club. 
that's put on just like an Academy Awards, okay? And it rewards all their employees. It's mm -hmm. a black tie thing. Stephanie and I go. It's amazing. It's just an amazing event. And to, to, to see them call up in a, an employee, the most, you know, the most improved account manager from last year, you know, Sally mm -hmm. Smith and the highest sales generator, you know, whomever. And they walk up and, and they get a little trophy. Everybody claps. There's a band playing. It's a festive atmosphere. Mm -hmm. They were the first people that I know of that had collaboration software specifically designed to enable people to work remotely or at least hybrid. And this is way before the pandemic. Okay. Mm -hmm. Software that is very client centric. It enables the company to form a close relationship and interactive relationship with the client. They're consistently now on the best places to work in Washington, DC, mm -hmm. consistently every year. Here's one. The CEO actually used to have a small desk right in the middle of yep. everyone else. He would take me to his corner office and it was like nobody ever lived in this thing. There was no papers around because he was never in his club. He was never in his corner office. He mm -hmm. was out with the people, with the staff all the time. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. These people worshiped this guy. Okay. Beautiful, prestigious offices, high rise, client focused. They'd have yep. social events. I mean, I wanted to work there. It was just an incredible atmosphere to work. And now everybody wants to work there. Yeah. Now there's 75 people. So here's an interesting thing. I, I, you know, several years ago, I remember a CEO getting up in front and it was a very sales driven culture. And the CEO sat there and said, you know, the salespeople are at the tip of the spear. They will guide the ship. But then he, but then, it, but then it was a, then it was a big miss. He said, everybody else is staff. You know, okay, so you just relegated everybody else. So you have this big sales meeting. So, you know, you you, you, you have this big sales meeting where you're like, okay, we got 10 people that we're going to really, you know, focus the Academy Awards on. And then, but everybody else is just, yeah, you just, really? and you're like, wow, shit. I just, you know, uh, I just feel good about being here. I'm just, I'm just staff, you know, <laughs> good, good, to know good to know. Um, You can't do that. Everybody in the organization, if you want a real sales-driven culture where, you know, performance is rewarded, everybody is important in that group. Yeah. I think about like an aircraft carrier. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about an aircraft carrier. You know, who gets all the glory? The aviators get all the glory, right? But that 20-year-old cook down in the mess deck? His job's just as important as anybody else's. And 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 that person needs to be made to feel important. We always go back to like these military analogies. It, it's kind of funny. Well, I could talk about, you could talk about a lot of things. Yeah, you talk about, look, I'll talk about, you'll, I'll go to sports. Patrick Mahomes won a, won, a, won a Super Bowl. Yeah, who was getting accolades? The trainer, the young lady, yes. yeah. the young lady who did physical therapy on his ankle. Yes, exactly. I mean, you talk about bad. You think she was important? Hiring the yeah. right person, hiring the right person. Exactly, that's great. That point. job, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. she's important. Every yeah, you know, it, it it's like uh, we're doing a mission readiness exercise down down on the URE forest next to Fort mm -hmm. Bragg, and uh, one of the guys on the team was a late substitution 
because mm-hmm. you have to fill out your team with all with you know with all the different functions. And it was a combat cameraman who had been a combat cameraman only because mm-hmm. when he joined the military, he was too young mm-hmm. to try out for special forces as an 18 X-ray. Mm-hmm. So I took this guy because I needed an engineer on the team. And he seemed like a, a, a really squared away guy. He ended up being our driver, our security, our, our, our fix-it guy, helped out communications. He was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was because, you know, special forces empowers and enables everybody mm-hmm. from, like, as you said, the mess cook all the way up to the colonel, you mm-hmm. know. And that guy saved the day. He was amazing during that entire rotation. And at the end of the rotation, when we did the AAR, he had told me during the mission, he told me, he says, Robbie, he says, I've always wanted to be a Green Beret. I've always wanted to go through SF selection, but I'm this combat cameraman. And he was so well regarded as a combat cameraman, which is an important part of a downrange uh, squad, that he said, my superior will not let me go. He he won't let me, he won't sign the papers to let me try out for SF. Ooh. So I'm, I, I, I've been condemned to the combat cameraman. I said, really? So at the end of the rotation, and this is not really, you know, this is not a combat downrange mission. This is a sustainment mission, you know, undertaken in the United mm-hmm. States. But after the mission, there's an AAR, after action review, and the colonel paid us a visit. And we were in the hangar doing AAR, and it was probably mm-hmm. 75 people. And at the very end, the colonel says, "Is are there any more questions? Anybody else have anything to say at all? And I knew he was in the back of the room, this combat camera guy. And I stood up, mm-hmm. raised my hand. He says, Rob, what do you want, man? And, and it's like one of these things where almost nobody ever asks questions, right? Mm-hmm. You've probably been in the same situation on a carrier, right? The big brass says, any, any more questions? Everybody kind of sits there. I I stood up and I said, there's a man in this room that wants to be a Green Beret mm-hmm. and has never been given the opportunity. And I'm here to tell you right now, sir, I want you to consider, mm-hmm. let's call him Jim Smith, for SF selection on my recommendation. Mm-hmm. He goes, really? He says, tell the man to talk to me yep. after we're done here. So the combat cameraman is like totally embarrassed in the back of the room. He says, you want me to talk to this guy? Because he was the SF colonel. He was the head of fifth group. You know? yeah. <laughs> and sure. After, afterwards, they met. And uh, about a month later, this guy who had my email, combat cameraman, calls me up. And he says, Rob, he says, I got my papers. I'm going to selection, man. I said, no kidding. He goes, I'm going to selection. And, and only like five people out of 100 make it. But I, I, I knew this guy was going to make it. And the guy's a successful Green Beret now. But that's the whole thing. But that's but that you, you see that in companies. Like you see that you people, really good people get pigeonholed. Why do they get pigeonholed? Because they're really, really freaking good at their job. And then their boss is like, that, that, that guy or that girl is so good at their job. I can't possibly leave them. I can't possibly leave them or, or let them leave. Yeah. And, and the issue becomes, you know, what are you doing for them? Yeah. Everybody in life has a what's in it for me type of deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the you know the the reality of the matter is is that companies need to be looking at their people going, all right, we know who's really good. What are we doing for them? Exactly. But I I got a search I'm working on right now. I'm about ready to kill myself on it. Or actually, I'm about ready to go reach through the phone and choke somebody else. 
<laughs> we've had because they cannot get out of their HR heads. They, 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 they we've had three turndowns on this position. Wow. Why? Because it re- requires a relocation. Second thing is the people start to do, they, they want the job. They like the responsibility, but then they start to look at the cost of living in the place where, you know, the, the, the job would take them. And all of a sudden now it's a higher cost of living, high tax rates. They look at their mortgages. They're going to have to dump their three and a half percent fixed rate mortgage. And they're actually going to buy a new house at almost seven. Wow. All of a sudden now they're looking at the, the cost of living and they're like, Hey, you know, I'm out three in a row. And I go to the company. I'm like, you know, one, one person had stock options. They were so good at their current company. They were just awarded stock options. So I went to the company said, you're going to have to address these issues. Yeah. What did they come back and say? We're not gonna. I'm like, well, there's Can't your do answer. The there's your answer. Yeah. If you're not willing to flex and be smart and do the same, do the smart thing for the people that you need to attract, you know, stupidity. So that's but that's a that's the mark of a great company. Yeah. You know, it gets collaboration at all levels, it rewards the people for their collective gains, it, it provides so, an atmosphere of collaboration. So the second client, okay. This yeah. was this was really interesting too. I, I I don't know how many of your clients, Craig, that, that administer like personality profiling or assessment profiling, but you know, I used to think that kind of a waste of time because what it was was people would have someone go through the hiring process, get mm-hmm. all the way to the end, and then they would give them the personality profile, mm-hmm. and it became a check in the box. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, once in a while, somebody would say, "Well, you know, he, he didn't check out as a sales guy," but but I had this one client uh, came to me. It made my job initially a lot more difficult because a lot of these these candidates that I thought were really good were getting rejected mm-hmm. because they didn't fit the profile. And then finally, I said, let's do the profile at the beginning of the hiring process. Mm-hmm. And they said, really? I said, yeah. Before I even submit these people, mm-hmm. I'm going to give them this, this profile just to make sure that they fit the attributes. So what they did is they got back with their consultant and they designed the assessment profile, the personality profile, if you will, in accordance with their peak performers and their company culture. So they specifically designed a preferred score. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then people started taking it and the people that scored really high were invited into the interview process. So they've already been pre-qualified to have the skills, the attributes, personality, all that kind of stuff for for the respective position, whether or not it's a sales or a non-sales position. So all the profiles had different scoring mechanisms for each one. The only people that that were interviewed were the people that had already Mm pre-qualified. I went back over the past three years, 90% of those people are still Mm -hmm. working there. In a Wall Street Journal article, this weekend, I, I noticed, and it might have been in that same article that, that you and I were talking about, the, the reinvention of, of your career article, people leave their jobs after 2.9 years now. So I'm thinking 2.9 years is the average that people stay at their jobs. Right. And I'm like, and I'm like 90% retention after three years. Right. Um, and, and now I'm thinking, this is the client from heaven, because yep. I'm able to place people who already have skills experience personalities in direct alignment with, with the corporate culture. So yep. they're set up for success. I don't have to replace any people. So 
man, I tell you, they have significantly improved their talent level just by realigning their hiring practice. Yeah, look, I, I've got a private equity group I work with. Uh, the first thing they make their CEOs, any any CEO prospect has to take the test. We just call it the test. It's, yeah, I think it's a, a personality index. Look, those things are pass fail. You know, there's no right or wrong. Everybody, you know, everybody had runs a gamut. I mean, I've taken a hundred disc tests and everyone has told me that I'm very high on the D and the I. I'm very low on the S and the C. <laughs> I'm obviously not a very touchy-feely guy. Yeah. That's okay. If you're a touchy-feely environment or you're a very hierarchical environment, I'm not going to do well there. Yeah. I'd rather know that personally than, you know, the 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 the, the challenge with the test. I, I like that because what it does is it gets people aligned with the culture of the company. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, you know, the challenge you have is people take the test and then they then you know they're they're not within the they're not within the realm. And then you have to tell them, hey, you didn't look, we're not going to move forward. Yeah, you know, they're looking for they're looking for a different personality type. Oh, what's wrong with me? Well, nothing wrong with you. It's you know, it's just a very difficult conversation. Yeah, it's kind of an awkward conversation to have. I have that same conversation. And what I tell people now is I learned the hard way by trying to explain that that, that test, how you didn't meet mm -hmm. the test. Oh, yeah, I would just tell them it's just not the right fit. So yep, I had. I can't a, tell you anything more. Yeah, I was totally embarrassed by. Uh, I was totally embarrassed right before Thanksgiving by a, a C level executive, and and he had taken a personality. I I knew about his profile, and the profile <laughs> basically said, "Hey, look, he's a little less entrepreneurial. He likes structure and organization, right? You know, there was a C level role that we're looking at for him." was a little less structured and a little less organized than probably, and maybe it was my fault, I, 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 but he he really wanted you. But right before Christmas, he, he doesn't call me. He does he sends me a text. Yeah. I need to put off, I need to, <laughs> you know, I need to delay my start date. My current company gave me a counter offer. Oh my, oh, you dumbass. Yeah, he should have done that. Totally embarrassed himself. Yeah. Embarrassed, you know, it's like you just don't, it's not the way a C-level person reacts. But I go back to the personality profile. And I'm like, there you right, go. Right? Yeah. yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe that was. Uh, Those personality yeah. profiles do not lie. I'm telling you, man, particularly mm -hmm. in the sales area, in 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 these sales profiles, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you're not extroverted and you're not dominant, have a dominant personality, you're just not going to be a good sales guy. You know? No, I disagree with that. That I don't agree with because I've seen a lot of introverted people become very, very good salespeople. Now that, you know, they're, like they're, they're, you know, uh, they may be a little bit more introverted. They may be a little bit more methodical, but they're trying to become, they become very trusted advisors. Now, yeah. you know, now, you know, there are some sales roles where you, Hey, it's uh, you, you let your hair on fire type of person. There are other sales roles where, hey, we're looking more for that trusted exactly yeah, that yeah. trusted advisor who, you know, is a little bit more, yeah. you know, whatever. So on the insurance know, side, it's a it's more of a transaction. I mean, it was transactional it, 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 insurance sales actually starts out as very transactional. It's all about activity, calling people. You, yeah. you have to be irrepressible, can't get your feelings hurt. Mm -hmm. I mean, like my wife is a is a classic introvert. You know, yeah. INTJ on the Myers Briggs go. She'd last about an hour. <laughs> yeah. In insurance sales, because you got to pound mm -hmm. the phones, emails, 
right. talk to people. It, yeah. It's crazy. So my third client, right? So how did they grow top line sales by 20%? So they came to me and said, hey, Rob, we know you do executive coaching and consulting, advising, whatever. Our sales have flatlined for the last couple of years, and we're trying to get out of this funk. I mean, you know, we're, our, our, our salespeople really aren't motivated. We're kind of directionless. We've spent all this money on operations and marketing and, and blah, blah, blah. We're willing and able to invest some money in our sales force and, re, mm-hmm. and rejigger things. What do you think? So I said, let me come in there. I'll, I'll talk with the board and maybe we'll talk with the sales guys and we'll figure something out. But I told him, I said, the first thing we're going to have to do is, is you're going to have to put your listening hats on and you're going to have to actively listen to your salespeople and just ask them like, what's, what's happening? What isn't right? What is the problem? So we had a meeting brought the sales uh, VP and he said, you know, the first thing is the commission schedule has changed three times in the last four years. My sales guys don't really know how how they can make money because because the commission schedule keeps changing. And as a former sales executive, you know the feeling, you know. So it it all came down to tracking activity. And the the lead sales guy says, you know, let's just figure out, you know, how many phone calls it takes to get a meeting, how many meetings it takes to get a deal, how many deals we have to propose RFPs Mm -hmm. to close a deal. So we figured out all these metrics. And then everyone agreed upon in a room, we got everybody in the room and everybody agreed. And and it was basically a negotiation. Let's come up with a fair and reasonable commission schedule that we can all mutually agree upon. So over the course of two days, everyone collectively, even I had some input into what the commission schedule should be. And they agreed to hold that for the next five years. Management agreed to invest money into more lead generation, into a better database, something along the lines of salesforce.com, mm-hmm. where their activities could actually be tracked. Because believe it or not, the sales guys wanted to track their activity because they wanted to see, mm-hmm. how am I doing against the benchmark, right? So once they figured out the metrics, everyone went to work. It was all activity driven. Again, mm-hmm. insurance sales is probably different than aircraft sales, you know, but you know, insurance sales is all about how many calls, how many emails, how many social media interactions, how many RFPs, all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And what they did is they posted the activity of the sales force in the coffee room mm-hmm. on the bulletin board so that everybody could see who was making the calls, who had the mm-hmm. meetings, what the closing ratios were. And it was extremely motivating. And everybody knew that if they hit the metrics, they were probably going to make a lot of money. And they knew if they made a lot of money, the commission schedule was not going to be changed around. Well, look, it comes down to this, like yeah. you know, from a, from a sale- 22, 22.7% the following year. Yeah. To me, it's, it's about this. It's about listening. It's once again, it's about listening, you know, and I, I worked for a company where, yeah, the, the, yeah, the principals thought they knew it all. And they came, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I always knew, you know, my whole life I've been in very high end sales, and these guys were more transactionally focused. And they thought, well, if you take a transactional approach to high end sales, you'll be successful. Well, no, just the opposite. Exactly. Yeah, you know, wealthy people don't want to be called at night. Exactly. Right. You know, they don't want to be called at night. Great. <laughs> right? 
It doesn't work that way. So it's about listening to your teams. Once again, it's all about listening to your teams. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And understanding, hey, look, you know, this is, you know, the, you know, look, salespeople can whine. They can whine like no, you know, nobody's business. But at the end of the day, when they're out there whining, there's usually a little bit of truth to what they're saying. And the whole thing is, is hey, look, yeah, nothing makes makes a sale, yeah, nothing makes a salesperson or anybody mad, more mad than when you start to mess with their compensation. Exactly. You know, if you promise somebody a 30% bonus and you give them a 20% bonus, well, they're pissed. You know, where's the rest of my bonus? So it's about listening to your people and understanding what moves the needle forward. But, you know, at the end of the day, if they come to you and say, hey, look, if if we, we've got five barriers to sales, the answer becomes, if I remove those five barriers, are you going to sell more? Or are you going to produce more? Or are you going to you know, manufacture more or or whatever? You know, that's what it comes down to. What makes me a little bit of a, a, a higher income executive recruiter than some other people? Yeah, I got on an airplane last week. And I dropped $1,000 to go see a client. And I had done the same thing the week before, but it was $1,500. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, you know, we do these podcasts. It's, it's, it's about activity that drives results. It's not just, you know, what you think. It's not just the stuff that you have in your mind. Yeah. It's, wait a minute. It's, it's, it's an immersion of how do we go get business? Yeah. And that's what I think, you know, uh, the really good companies do is they listen to everybody and they say, okay, you know, what, what, do, what do we need to do to drive the needle forward 20% yep. more next week or next year? And you know what? I'll take that one step further. So I think it's not only actively listening, which is a major leap for a lot of people, but it's actively listening and then coming up with benchmarks or improvements whatever you have to do, actions that are mutually agreed upon yeah. between staff and management. That's where listening comes in because a manager or a leader can listen to, 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 you know, to his subordinates. Mm -hmm. But if he just goes back to his office and makes up the rules and dictates, here's what we're going to do. Okay. Yeah. He listened, but didn't really do him any good. It's, it, it, it's the leader that, that actually actively listens and collaborates with his subordinates and gets them to mutually agree and buy in to what we're going to do as a group. If you can do that, if you can listen and then, you know, formulate mutually agreed upon goals and objectives, that's magic in a bottle because everyone's jumping into the foxhole at that point, you know. The most horrible business leader I'd ever seen. I mean, it's just, and, and I laugh, I sit back and I laugh and I go, you know, maybe this was the old days, but he would come, I was the VP of sales. And he comes in and all he's got, I got all the team there and uh, he comes in and struts like a chicken. <laughs> and he says, by the end of the year, we will sell $30 million in company real estate. And you can just see all the eye rolls, all the eye rolls out there. Yeah. And if we don't do it, you all are fired. Like, okay, there's a good message. So everybody's looking around and you know what I did? I looked at my team. I said, all right, guys, let's just go pack your trash. Now let's just go. Let's go. We're all fired. <laughs> yeah. and, and the guy's just sitting there looking at me like dumbfounded. I go based on what, you know, based on what, you know, you guys aren't investing in 
You're not invest. It's 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 a very high dollar sale. It requires a level of volume, you know, volume of people coming in. And and you know, we're out here in the trenches doing what we can do, but you're not doing what you're you're not investing what you need to invest. And for you to just think that you're magically going to come in and say, you know, everybody's going to sell thirty million dollars of real estate or we're fired. Look, shit, I'm just leaving. Yeah, right. And you're not going to hold that over my head. Right. You know, and that's just bad. That's just bad management. It's it's people don't understand. Like, all right, the question becomes, if we want to sell thirty million dollars in real estate between now and the end of the year, what needs to happen? Exactly. Yeah. You know, what needs to happen? All right. Here's what needs to happen. Here's the commitment from all levels. Yes. It's yeah. going to take. Yeah. But that's you know top down leadership, top down you know pigeon management doesn't work anymore it never yeah. did work it's got to be up and down again i go i i, I go back to sf it you know the command goes up and you know it's up and up and down up and down the command chain yeah. it, it, it works both ways but i love always love that question somebody taught it to me it's like always ask the question based on what yeah. we want these results based on what you know, what's your, what's your benchmark? What's your platform? I mean, I've seen, you know, Lisa, you know, my wife, great finance person used to drive her crazy. Cause she would, you know, she would do a lot of consulting and companies would just come out with these numbers. They pull these numbers out of thin air and they say, okay, now we're going to go project, you know, our, our sales projections or revenue projections are going to be this. And she's like, based on what? Well, this number, we just pulled out of thin air. Yeah. And she's like, well, okay. You know, yeah, exactly. You're basically your foundation is air. Yeah, you know, it's, exactly. It's, you're not going to get there. So that's that's the whole thing. But yeah, you know, look, I think at the end of the day, look, you've got you know, three things here where it's you know, you create a you create create an employee culture. You know, you become the employee of choice. You make sure that yeah, you know, I love the personality profiles because it makes sure that you're finding people who fit into your culture, the culture you're trying to build. Yep. And then the third thing, you know, you talk about you know getting everybody's buy-in. And you know, sort of getting a kumbaya, saying, "All right, we're 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 going to march forward as a as a group, yep. and this is what it's going to take everybody to be." That's it, man. You nailed it. Hey, Craig. So, how do people get a hold of you, anyways? Craig at NorthStarESG.com, or just call me at nine one zero two three one four zero three seven. Great. Thanks very much. I appreciate your insight. You're a great sales guy. Number one, aerospace airline industry all things airplanes we're just having a good time yeah you're having a good time man thanks a lot and uh we'll see you next week sounds good i hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the aerospace executive podcast you can reach out to me directly craig and northstaresg.com or check us out at www.northstaresg.com you can subscribe to this podcast on itunes stitcher podbean or on youtube just do a search for aerospace executive podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pickett.